Hallelujah. I'm so glad the Word of God is the Word of God, and I'm so glad that when we read the Word of God, there's no mincing of words, there's no apologies, there's no talking about God's sovereignty and taking clear things and making them vague. I'm glad that faith comes because of the way God speaks. I want you to say that with me. The reason faith cometh by the Word of God is because of the way God speaks. God never minces words. He tells ancient Israel, I will help thee. I will uphold thee. Don't be afraid. I am with thee. I am thy God. Amen. Clear, concise. When he makes a promise, it's the same way. Clear and concise. When Jesus talks about the Father and, and our relationship to him and our, our prayers, what happens when we pray heretofore, you've asked the Father nothing in my name. Ask and see what happens. No, that's not. That's, ask and see what happens. Just just give it a shot. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen with that attitude. Not a, nothing, not a thing, right? Nothing, nothing. Abraham staggered not. This causes me and you to stagger at the promise of God, to stumble, to be tentative. And no wonder. It's not that God quit doing miracles. People would love to go back to Bible days when God moved mightily. God is God eternally. He hasn't changed. But something's changed. And it isn't God. And it isn't Jesus. He's the same. Why stand ye looking into heaven when he ascended? As if now Jesus is up there, we can forget about help down here. No, this same Jesus is going to come back. But this same Jesus is come back through the Holy Spirit to keep a promise. I will never leave you. Well, they saw him ascend. But when the Holy Spirit came, he said, I will give you another comforter. And the word comforter, everybody say wooby. That's not Greek for comforter. That's what Linus carried around. Remember the security blanket that Linus carried around in Peanuts? Did you ever see Peanuts? He carries it around. And who was it in our family? Uh, Billy, maybe it was, or, or one of our children had that blanket that they kept in their hand all the time, security blanket, and they would smell the blanket and rub their nose. Comforter, my my grandmother had a comforter with goose down in it, uh, and they called it a feather bed. It was so thick, you could lay on it in the spring and summer, or you could put it on top of you in the winter. But this comforter is the word paraclete, and it's one that stands in behalf of another. It's one called alongside, specifically for one reason. To help, to help. I will not leave you comfortless. Orphanos is the Greek word. But I will send you another comforter. And in the actual Greek, it reads this way. I will send you another just like myself. 
And the Bible said when he comes, he'll testify of me. Not just by telling you about Jesus, but manifesting everything Jesus was and is in your life and mine. Hallelujah. He will testify of the Lord's presence within us and with us every single step of the way. When he comes, he won't speak of himself. He won't exalt himself. He'll point to Jesus, always pointing to Jesus, 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 Jesus. To help us do what? Look to Jesus, 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 who is the what? The author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, because God speaks clearly. God speaks concisely. No wonder faith comes. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God because the Word of God will point you to a person before it points you to a promise. Because if it points you initially to a promise and you try to claim the promise, the promise is only as good as the faithfulness of the person who made it and the integrity of the person who made it. How did, how did Abraham get that faith finally to where it didn't stagger at the promise? He didn't try to help God out anymore. He did. How did he come to that place? The Bible said that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, accounting that he was able to raise the dead. And you know what that means? That means... There's nothing more fearful to man and more final than death. And he said, if I serve a God who is able to raise the dead, he can do anything. There's nothing that he can't do. There's no fear that I can't conquer. There's nothing too hard for him. And he said that his faith was based, he had for an anchor, this he had. He staggered not because God had made him a promise. And he demonstrated that faith when he held the sacrificial knife above his own son. He said, if I take his life, and God has told me that through him he's going to bless my seed, the moment he breathes out his life, God is going to have to raise him from the dead. And he was as good as dead as far as Abraham was concerned, unless God stopped him in his heart, he had already plunged the knife. And it was a type of Christ because this 19-year-old son and had a 100-year-old daddy. And if his son didn't submit to be the sacrifice, there's no way Abraham could have overcome this 19-year-old strapping young man. So you see a son who willingly <laughs> laid down on the altar and said, if God wants me to be the sacrifice, I'll be the sacrifice. Do you see it in the New Testament? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus in the garden. Can you say, man? Oh, but God provided a ram in the thicket and said, you don't have to sacrifice your son. There's a sacrifice. And then it's no more a type of Christ except in the ram. But listen to this carefully. He was the son of the Bible said that Abraham loved. This wasn't a son that he could easily give up. It was the son of promise, the son that he loved with all of his heart. Amen. 
And I want you to know that there was more suffering than just Jesus physically on that cross. God the Father listened to his only begotten Son, whom he loved. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He heard him cry, I'm thirsty, and yet he couldn't give him anything to drink and purchase our salvation. He heard him cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he couldn't come and wrap him up in his arms and tear him off of that cross and take him to heaven, sit him on his throne and say, they'll never hurt you again. So the father felt the loss of his son. And Jesus became that eternal sacrifice. Friend of mine, I want you to know that's love. That's love beyond any of the loves that we can talk about down in this old fallen world. I would lay down my life for my wife. I would lay down my life for any one of my children. (laughs) I would fight you for my dog. I mean, if you're trying to hurt him, I'd try to keep you from hurting him. I don't know if I'd lay down my life for it. My dog wouldn't do that for me. But anyway, I had a big dog named Sophie. Oh, she was so sweet. They drive fast sometimes down the road in the neighborhood. Sophie thought I was going to take her home when I was trying to pull her off to the side of the road. And she, big old, big old, we took her in, rescue dog. Big, what was she? Lab, lab retriever mix. But she was an old mama dog that somebody had run off or give up. And, and, uh, and so she loved to walk. And I'm taking her for that walk in the dark. And here comes a car, and I can hear the thing revving up. And when I pulled on her to get her off the road, she thought I was trying to get her to go back home, and she knew we're not through with our walk yet. So she just laid down in the middle of the road. She must have weighed 75 or 80 pounds because she was fat. Not P-H-A-T, but F-A-T. Amen. <laughs> she, was, she was a fat dog, and I had to pull her off. And so then I got the little dog, and I'm walking now both dogs. And a house next to us had two young pit bulls, and they were on a screened-in porch. And they didn't latch the door. And my son was with me. And my little dog was with me. And my big dog was with me. And here come those two pit bulls flying at us. My son took off. (laughs) He's gone. He must have been 100 feet away by the time the dogs got there. Daddy, daddy, here they come. I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> and, and my little dog took off with my son. I turned him loose so he could run because he would bark, and that, you know, he didn't want nobody to get aggressive. And old Sophie, she just, <laughs> you know, this old big lummox of a dog. And she just, you know, they sniffed all over her, and they're sniffing me, and I'm standing there, and and their master, he's scared because, you know, these are young pit bulls, and we didn't know their temperament. And, and uh, he come, come here, get back here, get back here. 
And he come and he grabbed two pit bulls. He's a big guy with tattoos. And he grabbed two pit bulls and carried them both. Now, you know better than that. He's telling them. And the dogs are like, no, we don't know better than nothing. <laughs> you unlock the door, we're gone. Amen. But what, what, what point I'm trying to make here today is, listen, God loves you. God loves me today. God loves his church enough that he gave himself for it. Hallelujah. He gave himself for it. The church is messed up. The church is compromised. The church is polluted with the world. The church today is the Laodicean church personified. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. And I don't need anything. And even Jesus can't get in it. They sing about it. They talk about it. They preach about it. As a financier, as a healer of the physical needs and a meter of the financial needs. But when he wants them to repent of their worldliness and repent of their spiritual blindness, and he wants to come in and restore them and renew them and send a revival to them. The door is locked. Most of the time we use this scripture in Revelation 3 for the lost and for the sinner. And it, it can be applied to that. But it isn't in the context of that. It's not the door of a sinner's heart that Jesus is knocking on. It's the door of the church of Laodicea. It's the church that is blind. It's the church that is bound. And so blind that they equate material blessings with God's favor. Even though they were so wrong with him, he said, you make me sick. When he said, I will spew you out of my mouth unless you repent. It's the word for throw up. It's not spitting them out. It's regurgitating something that is setting so wrong on your stomach that it makes you so sick you have to spew. I don't know if you've ever been sick enough for it to come up with force coming out. If it did, you were really, really sick. You go in the bathroom and hug the commode and just spew it out. And doesn't it feel good when it's finally out? Generally speaking, it gets better. But for Christ to say to the church of Laodicea, are we in that pattern today? What is the message drawing? Tens of thousands of people on Sunday morning. Look at this. Look at us. Look at us. What message is drawing the crowds today? It came through a Pentecostal movement. It came through the charismatic movement. The focus came off the power of God, the person of Christ, and on to the prosperity materially that he can give us and don't get me wrong god blesses giving and god blesses people he shows favor materially but to make that the paramount message and to make that the draw that's what brings you to church who was it chris pratt that stood up and said something good about god at the mtv awards this week he said there is a god and and he was doing really good but listen there's a, there's a perspective that can take it off into the tangent. The indication was that he wants everybody blessed. He's got good things for you. 
He's just going to, in other words, God's going to put you over. God's going to just, you know, just give you every felt need that you have is going to be met materially, emotionally. And if he could just get back on the track and exalt Jesus, he could have a strong influence for Christ. But there's a message out there that's taking people and pointing people. Self-denial is not the prerequisite for following Jesus. Self-indulgence is the prerequisite. Look what God can do for you. Why wouldn't you want to come to him? There's no sacrifice. There's no commitment. There's nothing that, there's no true devotion. I told you God speaks plain. If any man would be my disciple, let him, first prerequisite, deny himself. It means in the Greek to cancel all right to self, to give up all right to self. Romans 12, 1 and 2. First scripture, fundamental, foundational, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior. First scripture you need to embrace after John three sixteen and getting saved is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your body, stimulated by His love to us, Loving him back for loving us, I beseech you by what? The mercies of God that you just received freely. That you present your body. And your body means the whole of your being. Because your body is the container for what? Your soul and your spirit. It's the whole of you. To God. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Which is your reasonable service. In light of what you've received, this is reasonable. This is logical. This is what it ought to be like. True devotion. Total devotion. And if you're serving Him for any other reason than what He's done for you at the cross, there's no total devotion. There's something in it for me. What's in it for me? And we're stimulating people with the promise you can have a house like I've got. Remember one preacher saying when we used to drive by these beautiful homes, and my wife and I said, "Oh, I wish we had a home like that." And God wants you to have a home like that. God wants everybody to be on that level. I think his taxes each year on his multimillion-dollar home is one hundred eighty-five thousand a year, just for the taxes. Somebody in Lakeland won Better Homes and Garden contest or the, the Garden TV. It used to be a garden channel, Better Homes sponsored thing. In California, they won it. A retired couple in Lakeland won a $1.5 million home in California. Whoopee! They're packing up to move until they found out how much the taxes are going to be. And they said, We can't live in that sucker, we can't pay the tax. When the tax comes due, we're out. We'll kick us out. And the insurance, they ended up selling it to somebody who could afford the taxes for less than it was actually worth and just, I guess, building them something that they could afford. And it would be great. You know, maybe they just lived in a half a million dollar house instead of a million and a half house. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Poor them. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Amen. What? Listen, 
if, if someone gave me $10 million and I built me a $9.5 million home and then get up and preach on Sunday morning how dedicated I am to Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for my $9.5 million home. Oh, it's bigger than Kmart. Amen. <laughs> it's got eight bathrooms. I never did get why you have so many bathrooms in the house. I, anyway, go figure. It's a symbol of success, I guess, to have five bedrooms and six bathrooms so you don't have to walk too far from anywhere in the home. We're living in a day that it is preached that God wants everyone to have opulence. I remember telling you the true story. We went to a camp meeting in, in a, is it Fort Lonesome? Where it, where's Church of God camp meeting? Anyway, it was, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Fort Lonesome. It was the, closer to this way. Jimmy Swagger at that time was preaching evangelistic services all over America. We went to a meeting. He preached on the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And someone that attended that meeting told us afterwards, they said, you know, we took a young couple to that meeting. They had recently given their life to the Lord. That he had graduated from college, and they had uh, just started their family, and they just built them a new house in a nice area of town. And on the way back from that meeting, see, this is, this is infantile Christianity. This is milk-fed babies that would think this way. You'll, you'll know when I tell you. And the lady asked the couple that brought them to the revival as a new Christian, do you really think that Jesus could come back soon at any moment? And she said, of course. The scriptures are very clear. These are the last days Jesus could come at any moment. She said, but we just built a brand new house. Listen, if, if you know I mean, come on, you know. But guess what's being preached right now? A materialistic message that keeps people earthbound, not even looking because they're not longing. Why should I go to heaven? I'm promised heaven on earth. I'm promised a mansion like that, a car like that. I'm, my kids are all going to grow up to be doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs or whatever, whatever they aspire to be, highly successful. I'm going to retire at 50, and I'm going to live on some island paradise somewhere like Mike. Well, he said, who's going to give me that? Well, there are people that will tell you God wants that for you. God wants you to live in a mansion. God wants you to drive a Bentley. And I remember when it started, and it didn't stop here. It went into Africa. That polluted, perverted version of the gospel went into Africa and it's there's there's multimillionaire pastors living in this poor continent off of the poor people giving in hopes to getting what they promised it's drawing the crowd and that's what's filling churches that were known at one time for the presence of God and the power of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Laodicea. Many Bible scholars believe that Laodicea was the, well, it is the seventh 
All of those churches that Jesus had John write letters to, they, they began and they ran in Asia, a semicircle. And the last of them was Laodicea, the seventh. And there are prophecy teachers like Schofield and others that believe that each one of those represented an era of the church prophetically. And that Laodicea was the church age that we're living in right now. There was great revival just a generation or two ago. And they believed that was Philadelphia. He said, I don't find any fault. I commend you. The, the love, the church that was in love with God and love one another. Philadelphia, brotherly love. Not the city. No brotherly love in the city of Philadelphia. How it got the name, I'll never know. So what was the testimony of Laodicea? He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. Did you know there are churches I could not go and preach repentance in, in this city? They would not welcome that message. And you know what consoles me? It's not me that's being rejected. It's the message. Paul said, he that despises the message of holiness, because if we preach holiness, there will be space for repentance in all of our lives. He that rejects the message of holiness does not reject me, he said, but God who sent the message and God who called us to a holy life. There are people sitting in church this morning enjoying the blessings and benefits of the Holy Spirit, feeling the tingle, feeling the sense of He's near us. But they will walk out and live in defeat because faith doesn't come by tinglings and faith doesn't come by feelings. Faith comes by hearing. And when I say hearing, He that hath an ear, let him hear. That means a heart to obey. Someone who's willing to give heed. And the scripture said we need to give the what? The more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Can you say amen? So there, there's no challenge. There will be no change. And some people don't want to be challenged. I remember when I went to the gym, I was 220 pounds, five foot six and a half. I have since lost the half gained back a lot of the weight. But when I first started, I went from 220 to 153. Wow. I lost some weight quick. But I got around professional. I got around professional bodybuilders. This was not your normal gym. This wasn't, this wasn't, what is it down the road here? Uh, L.A. Fitness. Oh, give me a break. Amen. No, Bambi isn't going to come in in her tights. And, and uh, you know, th this guy isn't going to come in after he leaves his office and, and get some 10-pound ten ten barbells and do this and think he's working out. No, this was a hardcore bodybuilding gym. My wife enrolled me to help me lose weight. I would have never picked it <laughs> because they expected you. They expected you to come in and be serious about your workout. 
And if they saw you were serious, they'd begin to help you. But if you were not serious, they would ignore you. And I thought the whole thing was vanity, vanity. This didn't really happen, but I thought it could happen. It could happen. And I thought it's all vanity. All of this is vanity. I'm just here to stay healthy, not, you know, die before my time and keep my energy level up. But when I got around professionals and I saw their devotion, I saw their devotion. I saw their devotion. And I saw the discipline that was a byproduct of their devotion. Until it wasn't a sacrifice to come in and work out. It wasn't a sacrifice to eat high-protein, low-carb. It was a discipline developed out of devotion to their sport. And it is a sport. It's not all vanity. And I saw how they urged one another. There was always two of them working out. Two wrestlers come in. Terry Bolia, which later known as Hulk Hogan, would come in. And he'd come in with his workout partner, another wrestler. And they would encourage one another. And I saw, I saw Junior Mr. America. I'll never forget Abe Quest. He would come in. And he would come in with his workout partner. And if a workout partner didn't show up, somebody's on the phone saying, Hey, where are you? I'm here. You're supposed to be here. No, people don't like that. I go where I want. I go when I want. And I don't account to anybody. It's amazing the lack of accountability that there is in the Christian community. Nobody accounts to the pastor. Where are you? Where are they? I have no idea. No communication. No accountability. No devotion to God or anyone else. No dedication. No discipline. Can't even bridle the tongue. Not devoted enough. Set on fire of hell. No man can tame it. But God can. If you're devoted enough to Him. To allow him to do it. Hold fast your confession of faith without worry. We're not just talking about tattletales and busybodies. We're talking about talking defeat, talking fear, talking divisions. Sixth thing the Lord doth hate. Number one is pride. The bottom of the list is he that sows discord among the brethren. God said, I hate that because Satan uses it as a device to keep people from coming together in unity with one mind and with one accord. I'm going to tell you something about me. I'll take this sifting we're in to get us into one mind and one accord so miracles can occur, so healings can happen, so that prayers can be answered. Can you say, even in a husband and wife, it's said to, to not let any division come between you, lest Satan should gain an advantage over you. Can you say man? Lest Satan should what? Gain an advantage through that division. Divide and conquer works so well for him. He's never changed his strategy nor his practice. But when they were in one mind and one accord on Solomon's porch, mighty miracles were occurring in the early church. Can you say man? Hallelujah. All right, let's finish this. Let's hurry and finish this. The Apostle Paul, and I remember 
when we made a, 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 a video for Africa, I quoted a scripture on that video. Paul said, I do not fight as one that beateth the air. I'm not shadow boxing. I know where the enemy, real enemy is, what he's using, and I know how to defeat it. I buffet, and I wish Sean was here. Because buffet and buffet is spelled the same way. So every time I would say, I buffet my body, he said, you mean buffet? <laughs> and I said, no, I mean buffet, buffet, and I bring it. See, this is this self-denial in order to take up our cross, second prerequisite, in order to follow Christ. I buffet my body. I bring it into subjection. I bring it, I bring it by the help of God, the grace of God, the power and person of the Holy Spirit within me. I buffet my body. I bring it into subjection. I bridle my tongue. There's a discipline if you're devoted. Let know, let know. Discipline, let know, let know. That means you have control, power. Through the Holy Spirit has given you power over self. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. My wife went to the doctor for her blood work. She said somebody in one of the rooms was hacking and coughing and hacking and coughing and hacking and coughing and hacking and coughing. She heard someone say, put your mask back on. What mask? Cover this. You're going to give it to everybody. You know, there's a lot of doubt, division, unbelief coming through the Christian community to one another. Put your bridle back on. Because if any man can't bridle his tongue, his religion is in vain. He has no self-control. He has no self-discipline. So this idea of following Jesus and serving Jesus is in vain. There's no self-control because there's no devotion. The discipline comes through devotion. When Abe Quester would come in and work out, he was devoted to bodybuilding as a sport. And he had all kinds. He would, he would just pour everything he had into his diet, into the exercise. I thought it's all vanity for looking in the mirror. No, he wanted to win the prize, that corruptible crown. Listen to what Paul said carefully. He said, I... I I do not fight as one that beateth the air. I buffet my body and bring it into subjection. Lest after having, see the religion become in vain, lest after having preached to others, I myself become a castaway. If I don't stay devoted, and if it doesn't bring the discipline of prayer, the discipline of self-denial, the discipline of holding my tongue and speaking 
according to the Word of God and the will of God and not just what I feel or what the circumstance looks like. I heard a guy the other day talking about my cancer. My cancer. Your cancer? Really? My cancer? No, it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you and it doesn't belong in you and it doesn't belong on you. My? No! Hold fast. Your profession of faith, your confession, which is the word profession in the Greek, without wavering. Without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. We have believed, the early disciples said, therefore have we spoken. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And the moment we believe, it's, account, it's actually put to our account as righteousness. Can you say amen? But with the mouth, everybody say the mouth. Confession is made. Unto salvation. If you confess me before men after you believed in your heart, I will confess you before my Father and His angel. You see the high priestly ministry of Jesus? Amen. He's, 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 he is declaring what we're declaring true about Him and about us and about our salvation. He's declaring it to the Father. Because He's the one that paid the price. Hallelujah. But if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father and His angels. With the heart man believes, with the mouth, the mouth, the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The abundance of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we can't have this double standard and double speech. You can. What is the tongue again? It's, a, it's an unruly member. So we have to bring it into subjection because it's not going to come willingly. It's full of deadly poison? Full of what? It's like holding a rattlesnake. Be careful with that thing. It can kill your faith. You can talk such doubt, fear, and defeat until you actually push your faith aside and make it of none effect. And because we're losing devotion to Christ, we're losing the disciplines to follow Him. We can't bridle anything. And he that hath no control over his own spirit, look at the vulnerability to the enemy. He's like a city without walls. A city without gates whose walls are broken down. Everybody say indefensible. That's an indefensible city. We have no self-control. So I'm looking at these guys, these professional wrestlers, professional bodybuilders, professional powerlifters. 
I see their devotion to their sport. Listen to what Paul said. He said they do it for a corruptible crown. Whatever they win is going to pass away. There'll be a little bit of glory for a little while, but it's going to pass away. It's just for the moment and for their own personal glory. We do it. We do it. We do it. We devote to Christ. We develop the disciplines necessary to become a disciple of Christ, taking up our cross and following Him for an incorruptible crown. Can you say amen? We should be more highly motivated than the bodybuilder, the professional wrestler, the Olympic athlete. What? You want me to be more devoted than him? He gets up every morning and he runs five miles before he goes to work. Professional boxer. Eye of the tiger? We don't have the eye of the kitty cat. And we wonder why that's such a shallow brand of Christianity. People are loose cannons. They go sit in church and come out and say all kinds of things contrary to the Word of God. They used to say it back in World War II. They didn't want anyone to know, anyone in the Navy or the Air Force, to know where the troops were, where the ships were. And they had a slogan loose lips sink ships honey we've got an enemy and did you know something he's up not omniscient like god is he don't know what you're thinking he doesn't have access to that computer called your mind and mine but he has a way of finding out when we open our mouth he gets a real view into where we are in our faith where we are in our fidelity to god where we are in our commitment to the word of god Amen. You know what confession of faith, that word confession means? It means to say the same thing as another. That means to line up with what God has said, not what I think, not what I feel, not what my circumstances dictate, not what somebody else is saying, but what God is. Remember we used to sing, whose report (laughs) will you believe? And then it would be answered, we will believe the report of the Lord. Because Isaiah 53 begins with that statement, doesn't it? Who hath believed our report? And listen, when you believe the report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's going to see the mighty power of God manifest? In particular, to salvation in Isaiah 53. But the principle is throughout the Word of God. Remember the promised land? They're on the verge of the promised land. Let's send spies. It's only logical and reasonable. God didn't chide them for sending spies. It's what they did with the information when the spies came back. When they came back, here's what they said. The land is just like God said. No wonder he promised it to us. But What a dirty trick. They didn't use those terms, but they said, 
There's boughs of grapes over there so big it takes two men to carry them. Isn't that incredible, rich, prosperous, fertile, blessing land, promised land? No doubt God wants us blessed. But there were fierce armies. And there were giants, the sons of Anak, in the land. And there were cities. Jericho. They saw Jericho. It was walled up to heaven. Not only will the devil emphasize and have you focus on the negative or the problem, he will magnify that problem. Now that was a big wall, but it wasn't that tall. Can you say amen? Everybody say the devil's a liar. It ain't just his pants that's going to catch on fire. Can you say amen? We buy into it. We're listening. We hear that. Take heed how you hear. And take heed what you hear. And we were, when we saw them like that, we saw ourselves as next to nothing. We were as grasshoppers in their sight. Listen to this principle closely before we close. The devil sees you as you see yourself. We were as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. They saw us as we saw ourselves. Joshua didn't see himself that way. He had a different spirit. He had a different spirit. He saw the same things, but he saw them with faith in God. God brought us out of Egypt. He can bring us into Canaan for heaven's sake. got ready to finally go over after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. There's an 85-year-old man that was 45 when he saw that stuff. And they looked at his age and stage of life when they were dividing up the land. Caleb. Yes, Josh Caleb. And Caleb said, I'm 85 years old. And I'm just as strong now to go up and take that land as I was 40 years ago. Did he mean physical strength? No. He was going over there in the name of the Lord God of Israel who promised it to him. And he was going at 80 to do the same thing the same way. And if they had listened to the good report, they wouldn't have had to wait 40 years and live like vagabonds. As if God brought them, God must hate us to bring us out in the wilderness like this and abandon us here. No. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness? Psalm 78. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness? How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness? Yea, they turned back and limited the Holy One of Israel. I believe God wants us to take the limit off of him. So he can get the glory for the victory that he's provided, that he's purposed, and he's promised in his word. Can you say, man, what would happen if we took the limit off of God? 
What would happen if we looked at a situation and say, ain't nothing for God? That's no big deal. What would happen if we looked at the mountain, acknowledged the mountain, and told it to move? What would happen if we talked to the mountain instead of just talking to each other about the mountain? If you say unto this mountain, have faith in God. Have faith in God, Jesus said. Have faith in God. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed and it's pure and it's, it's particularly uniquely focused on God, His promise, His power, His purpose, His love, His faithfulness. Have faith in that, God. It's not the size of your faith in respect to the size of the problem or the circumstance. It's the size of your God. Hallelujah. Something recently, I went out in my front yard, and I, my wife, by the way, there's something, some issue, and she deferred to me, and she said, you're the priest of this home. And I said, I, oh, yes, I am. That doesn't mean the big daddy, big boss. It meant that I have authority as the, as the priest in my home. I have authority, but authority is no good unless you use it. And we need men of God to rise up today and become priests in their homes. Hallelujah. Praise God. Not compete with your wife on who's going to be the boss. Amen. Compete with the devil and let him know that you are the boss over him and over all of, all of the, the things that he wants to do against your family. I remember a preacher. I'll never forget him. Humble man of God. Had a wonderful ministry years ago. He said every time I would go out to evangelize. He was a pastor evangelist like me. Every time, well, I haven't been out except through the web and through the media. But I'm fulfilling that calling. He said every time I went out, my children would get sick. My wife would get sick. I had to get on a plane, cancel the meeting, go back home, and pray and work with my family. The devil would hit my family every time I left. And he said, I got so tired of it. And I realized I have authority over him. I'm the priest in my home. And he said, I came back and he said, I have four children. And I had them all line up behind me and put their finger in my belt loop, the first one, and then put their hand on each other's shoulder. And you can see, he said, kids, we're going to have a train. You ready to go with daddy? Daddy's going to be the engine. And he went around the acre and a half or whatever it was of their property. He said, I put the blood, I put the blood, I put the blood, I put the blood. Now, there's no biblical precedent for putting the blood. But there's a biblical precedent for pleading the blood. Can you say amen? Oh, you didn't hear me. Oh, yes, and that is fault today. Pleading the blood of Jesus that is taught and preached and is the centerpiece of the gospel. When you plead the merits of that blood, you're some kind of charismatic, uh, hyper Christian, something or another. No, you are putting into practice your faith in the finished work of Jesus because they overcome the enemy primarily, number one, numero uno, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say, man? I plead the blood and I put the name. 
you had a prayer request called in. I went out in the front yard and I said, I plead the blood of Jesus over this situation. I don't just ask you to do something. I ask you in response to the shed blood of Jesus to do something. I plead the merits of His shed blood in our behalf over this situation. And I put the name of Jesus against the devil who wants to do his dirty work in this family. I plead the blood of Jesus and I put forth the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. How dare you? Who are you that defies the armies of the living God? Can you say amen? That's what David said. That's what he said before he did anything else. Oh, I feel his good favor. Hallelujah. That's why I don't want to go back to where we were. I don't want to go back to fruitless lives. I've seen too many shipwrecks. I've seen too many destroyed lives. I've seen too many discouraged people that never get encouraged. No matter what God's Word says or I say or He says. It's time to see God move. To see Him glorified. To see Him triumph over the enemy. The name of the Lord is still a strong tower. And the righteous still know where to run when the trouble comes. We're not running from the devil. We're running to God. There's a difference. Running from the devil is just fear. Running to God is faith. I've got faith that my God will defend me. Thou, O Lord. Thou, O Lord. Thou, O Lord. Art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter of my head. Can you say amen? Listen carefully. Listen, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, accounting that he was able to raise the dead. And the word he said is an anchor. Whatever God spoke is an anchor. It's an anchor. It's an anchor. It's an anchor. It's an anchor. What does an anchor do? Amen. It, if you put up a gazebo, you put down an anchor, and that silly little thing they give you is not enough. They'll give you a little thing that long to hold against one of these thunderstorms that comes in. And we'll tell you, if it gets up under it, it's gone. How do you know? Because it got up under one of mine. And those little things, I'm out of, I, I don't even bother with them. But if you get one of those anchors like they use for telephone poles, or don't have to be that long, about this long, you start it with a post hole digger, and then you start twisting it around, and it gets down, and it grabs a hole. <laughs> it, it might tear the roof off of it, but it ain't, it ain't going to take the whole thing. Amen. Anchors take whole ships that are storm-tossed and hold them in the position that they are in. Anchors are not just weights. The anchor on either end, it comes up. It hooks on the bottom itself. It digs into the bottom and it holds the ship in place. And in the midst of the storms of life, we need a faith that anchors our soul. Can you say, man, that anchors? Where, where was his anchor? Where was Abraham's anchor? He said it was anchored because whatever he said, he said, 
it reaches my anchor for my soul reaches into that that is behind the veil. What was behind the veil of the tabernacle? The Ark of the Covenant. More than that, the earthly manifestation of the presence of the God of glory. There was a person behind that veil. So holy, only the high priest could go to offer sacrifice once a year. And he said, my anchor is in that person and his faithfulness, his holiness, not just his power, because having that power without being faithful to use it in our behalf is useless faith. To acknowledge God is all-powerful will not deliver you in the time of trouble. But to acknowledge that God is faithful to his word and you're in the word and standing on the word, that is an anchor, sure and steadfast for your soul. Can you say amen? I've anchored. We used to sing it, I've anchored in Jesus. I'll fear no wind or wave. I'm anchored in Jesus because he has power to save. I'm anchored in the rock of ages. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rock of ages, cliff for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I am devoted to God for his honor, for his glory. I want to win some. I want to win one. Not for me. I want to win one for the glory of God. I want a victory so that he can receive glory. Can you say, man, hallelujah? Don't you want to bring him glory? We get delivered. We get help when we need it. And he gets the glory. And what happens? We offer him the praise for it. And what happens then? He gets the glory. Whoso offereth praise glorifies me. And to him that orders his conversation aright, to him I will show the deliverance, the salvation of my God. Last verse of Psalm 50. Wow! Oh, I want to see you. After praying for you guys, pleading the blood, putting the name of Jesus, two great banners in battle. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a banner against him. Hallelujah. A standard. The standard bearer is the one who bore the banner ahead of the army in battle. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord, our banner in battle. Glory to God. And if you don't know what the rest of that scripture says, let me tell you as we quit today. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And the next verse reveals the standard. From the Old Testament, Jesus existed. He came to earth and took on flesh in the New Testament. But he, from everlasting to everlasting, he is God, the second person of the Godhead. It said when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And the next verse says, And a Redeemer shall come to Zion. 
Who is the Redeemer that came to Zion? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God's banner that goes before us. Hallelujah. <gasps> Hallelujah. 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 So, so recently there was an issue and it was getting to me. And I thought, I'm the priest of this home. And I went out in the front yard because it was interrupting my peace, threatening my joy, breaking my focus through the distraction. And I went out in the front yard and I plead the blood of Jesus over my household. And I put the name of Jesus against the enemy right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And I felt that heaviness lift off of me. I felt victory before a change came because it occurred inside me first. Can you say, man, hallelujah. Praise God. Woo! And I got once again to put into my own life and circumstance the principles that I've been preaching and teaching in the Word of God. You're not the only one hearing this today. I'm listening too. Hallelujah. Faith is not just going to come to you by hearing. It's going to come to me. I want, here's what the Lord told me. And I rarely say that unless it's been something that I can get really a hold of and say I'm not. Because so many people just say these things flippantly until you don't take it serious. I want you to take this serious. I take it very serious. God told me, wherever I minister, to whomever comes to hear, to get them ready to receive. To get them to the place of faith that they can receive what I purposed and promised to them. Number one, actually number two. Number one, well, let's go back and do it the first. Number one, so they can get help. The real number one is actually number two. But God does want to help you and me. He doesn't want the devil to hurt us. He doesn't want us to be duped and defrauded by the devil. He's a thief. He came to steal what God wants you to have. And he wants to secure in your life and mine. Kill, steal, kill, and destroy is his M.O. If he can't steal something that belongs to you he can't kill and destroy he has to start with defrauding you out of something that belongs to you spiritually he comes to steal your victory steal your peace steal your faith steal your joy and if he can steal those items then you have no defense against him but if he can't steal, and if the good man of the house knew what hour the thief would come, he would have never suffered his house to be intruded on and robbed. He would have defended it successfully. And God said, I want you to get my people in a position to receive. All right, this is the scripture that I was going to teach on that we will get around to because God's not done with this. Is it okay if you are built up in faith to where you can receive the answer. How many need answers to your prayers? How many need God's help down here? 
Hallelujah. Well, you've got a promise of it, and you've got a provision of it. So it's not on God's part anymore. It's whether or not we can receive. Listen to what Jesus said without mincing words, Mark eleven twenty four and 25. Therefore I say unto you, verse 24, whatsoever things you desire, when ye pray, everybody said Jesus said it, when you pray, you see it's not after you pray, Because that's when the enemy is going to do everything in his power to get you off the word and out of faith and to get you back into fear. So that means faith has to precede your prayer. You don't pray and wait and see or pray and try to build yourself up. You build yourself up and then pray. That's why they prayed and began to sing praises unto God. Listen, listen carefully. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and we'll see what happens. And we'll see if your faith is big enough. And we'll see if your God is big enough. And we'll see if he's faithful. And we'll see if you can claim it and you can stand strong enough to get it. No, when you pray, whatsoever things you desire, that doesn't mean a blank check. It means get in the Word. Get in the Word. Get in the Word and see if you can find it promised to you in the Word. Hallelujah. And pray the promise. And praise the person who made it. Hallelujah for His faithfulness. Can you say that? Are you getting this today? Hallelujah. Oh, I, I don't want to see any more defeat. How many don't want to live in defeat? Wave at me if you don't want to live in defeat. How many want, don't want to live in fear? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Things that are impossible with men are possible with God, and nothing, therefore, is impossible, Christ taught, to him that believeth. And when do we believe? When we pray. Hallelujah. And we get up from prayer, and we stand in faith. Hallelujah. We released our faith when we pray. We don't pray and wait and see. We pray and stand in faith. And it involves then the next virtue is patience. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Receive the promise. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For he that shall come, will come. And he will not tarry. That doesn't mean there won't be an interim after you pray. It means that God is going to move in his timing, in his wisdom, in his way. But make no mistake about it. He's coming. He's coming to manifest the answer in your life and mine. 
Hallelujah. We used to sing. The answer's on the way. This I know. Jesus said it. I believe it. And it's so. Our Heavenly Father knows our needs before we pray. And you can rest assured the answer is on the way. Can you say, man? Well, if the answer's on the way, we need to quit fretting. We need to quit. I'm going to talk to me. Where's a mirror? I'm going to pretend mirror. We need to quit whining. I'm good at it. You should hear me sometimes. It'll make you sick. You can imagine how God feels when we do it. That's corrupt communication. It got out our mouth. Don't let it proceed. It's not a faith. It's not a faith. It will become sin because it will accuse God of unfaithfulness before either directly or indirectly. And that's got to stop if we want to see his glory. Let me read you this. And we'll go home today. Reinhard Bonnke said, when you do business with people, you need money. When you do business with God, it requires faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. So God said, get my people ready to receive. I want to answer their prayer. I want people to see that your God is the true and the living God. I want to be distinguished by how I deal with my people from the gods who are no gods. Jesus wants to be distinguished by power in my life from Krishna and Buddha and Allah, because believe me, the Allah of Islam is not the Jehovah of Scripture. And let the God that what? Answers by fire. Let the God that manifest himself in answer to prayer, because it was a prayer on top of that mountain that brought the power of God into focus. And he distinguished himself by power, and God confirmed Jesus by power through many signs and wonders. Can you say man? Hallelujah. How do you know it's him? How do you know it's really the Messiah? Go and tell him the lame walk. Go and tell him the dumb talk. Go and tell him the blind see. Go and tell him demons are being cast out and cast down, and he'll know it's the real deal. Can you say man? Somebody stand up and give him praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, stand up and give him some praise before we leave. Hallelujah. 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 Thank God we've sifted. We don't want to go back to the same old, same old. Amen. Hallelujah. How many need those miracles of God? Do you, do you realize what's been happening right here? I sat down after three days of couldn't hardly stand up, wanted to lay down, uh, couldn't seem to have any change. But I was sitting down, 
and I was listening to a choir singing the praises of God at my computer, and the Lord just dropped in my heart, it's time to receive. It's not time to pray anymore. It's not time to seek anymore. It's not time to stand on the Word. It's time to simply receive the answer. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that ye receive Because God is listening, and God is faithful. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have. There's receiving faith, the petition we've desired. Do we know that he hears us? His eyes are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. He bends down and listens. The psalmist said, when I talk to him, hallelujah, he doesn't wait in his heaven for my prayer to be pushed by my faith into his presence. When I start talking to him because his love is set on me, he bends down to listen. He's that attentive to my prayer. And therefore, I trust him and believe him for the answer. Glory be to God. I'm excited about this. Let's don't go back to mediocrity. Let's don't go back to the status quo. Hallelujah. Because He put His trust, set His love on me. Because He put His trust in me. I'll show Him my salvation, God said. Hallelujah. A thousand shall fall at your side. Ten thousand shall fall at your right hand. But it will not come nigh thee. Because you have made the Lord thy God, thy habitation. And under His wings you've come to trust. Woo! Don't get me started again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. We've been here over two hours and I hope you got something because God wants to give you something. And I sat there and I said, I just, I don't know, it was a moment of, of the worship of God and the Word of God together made a point of contact for me. And I said, Lord, I receive it. I receive it. And I didn't feel goose pimples and I didn't feel tinglings, but I felt in my spirit that I know that I know that I know that from this very from this moment in time, I'm getting better and better and better. And when Brother Taylor called to check on me because my wife had told on Facebook that I had been sick, I told him I'm a hundred percent. And I wasn't saying it by faith, I was saying it by fact. Because it was done and God restored whatever I lost in those three days. Uh, God just restored it. And I thank Him again. I thank Him again. Everybody that has a particular need for God's help, come stand with me. We want to pray together. Everybody has a particular need. We'll take the time. We'll take the time. A particular need in your life. An area you need His help in. Let's stand together and pray together. Hallelujah. He said, prepare my people to receive. This idea of twisting his arm, trying to get him as if he's a selfish God, an uncaring father, trying to get him to turn it loose, get him to help us. Please help me. That's, that's not, not the way he wants it to be. He wants us to be in a position of faith. To see the promise, to behold the person who made it, and to be able to claim it and receive it. Hallelujah. Paul prayed, he said, Oh God, oh Lord, I pray that you will grant unto them, speaking of Christians of that day, 
the church of Ephesus, grant unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, that they might know, hallelujah, what is the hope of their calling and what is the riches of his inheritance in the saints, his investment in us, hallelujah, through his own blood at the cross, and that they might know through personal experience now, not just head knowledge, this is wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus that brings a realization of all that he has done and all that he is to us, that they might know what is the hope of their calling, that they might know what is his riches in the inheritance, and that they might know his power to usward, released to us who believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Can you say, man? R.W. Shambach used to look out at people with problems and pressures just like us and say, and I'm going to put it in his plain language, but faith language. You ain't got no trouble. All you need is faith in God. Can you say, man, what we think is so big ain't nothing to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And know the power to usward who believe. Resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is available to you and available to me in whatever we are facing. You will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll do more than say, come tie my bow tie. Amen. You will do more than just speak in tongues. You will experience the power and presence of God in your life. Hallelujah. Father, my brethren, stand in the need of prayer today. Just like I stand from time to time in the need of prayer. My brethren, pray for me. But I have to receive. I have to receive that answer. Glory be to God. So, Father, we're standing here today with needs in our life. But we're standing here with a God who said that He would meet every need. Hallelujah. According to His riches in glory, my God shall supply all of your need. Take it out of the financial, way beyond anything money can purchase or silver and gold can buy. My God is a God of benevolence, of mercy, of love, power, and provision. Hallelujah. Who lavishes grace upon His people. Who gave His Son and the logic of Scripture kicks in again as we receive today. If He loved us enough, if He loved us enough, Paul said, come on, church, if He loved us enough to give us His only begotten Son, how will He not? How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Can you say amen? Hallelujah. If you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? Oh Lord, we don't doubt You today. We come to receive the answer. We receive healing here today. We receive help. We receive, Lord, victory over the enemy. We receive, uh, we receive harmony in our families. We receive unity in our bodies and our church. We receive a visitation of the Holy Spirit in these last days as you are pouring out the power of God. We receive today. We receive it today. We receive it today. The change starts now in this holy moment. And Father, we thank You that He that shall come will come. <laughs> and while we wait, 
We don't fidget. We don't become fatigued. In fact, we mount up with wings as an eagle. We run without weariness. We walk without a faint heart. We thank you today because we know victory. Victory shall be ours. Because we're going to hold our peace and let the Lord fight our battle. Hallelujah. And victory, victory, victory shall be ours. And we thank you for the families that are going to be restored. We thank you for the healing in our bodies. We thank you for the miracles that are going to occur. Because we're not Laodicea. We are not that church that is focused on the material at the expense of the spiritual and the eternal. We are focused on you, my Lord. And you are our riches. You are our wealth. You are our portion. And we thank you for being ours. In Jesus' name. And everyone that just received said, Glory to God.